You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. So as you got your hand out there, we're going to walk through some stuff, and we've been talking about uh, just God's work and God's... Uh, the, the person of God, God's a work, and tonight we're going to talk about the agents of God, specifically speaking about those that you be supernatural beings that are on God's side or those that are not on God's side. Um, so rea- realizing this, a biblical theology includes an understanding of angelic and demonic forces. Some of you are like, yes, I'm so excited I came tonight, okay? Uh, some of you, depending upon what kind of church or denomination you're in, um, your denomination or church may have talked a lot about angels or maybe a lot about demons or maybe you've avoided like them like the plague, right? Okay, but as you study scripture that this, this spiritual realm, these forces are something that is seen throughout scripture and we have a uh, concrete biblical theology, we've got to unpack it. The spiritual realm is a war field with stakes higher than we could possibly imagine. I believe that if we could for a moment, if, if we could kind of see there, there's different moments in Scripture where um, God allows different characters to see a battle of which they cannot see with physical eyes and just for a brief moment to go, oh, there's something else going on here that we're not aware of. And so um, here's what I want everybody to know, that as we talk about angels, uh, we're going to find ourselves a little bit uh, frustrated because um, I, I think that uh, a lot of times in our society, angels have been reduced to this kind of fat, fluffy baby on a cloud, right? Playing a harp or, you know, got some wings and doing their little thing and they put on your cards and other kind of stuff like this. Uh, Demons and Satan has been reduced to a cartoonish type of figure with a pitchfork and a biofabricated tail and all these different types of things. And I think really a lot of what all of that is, personally speaking, is a spiritual battle for us to honestly belittle the spiritual warfare that's going on around us. Um, some of you are uh, churched enough in the 1970s that you would remember a guy by the name of Keith Green, okay? Uh, if you haven't, I, I was not churched in the 70s, but I heard about him, okay? So I went back and, but this guy was uh, saved uh, out of um, just a lot of addictive patterns, and when he decided to follow Jesus, he decided to follow him all the way. And uh, in a very remarkable kind of um, serious fashion, he was going to decide to follow him. And, and one of the things that he would do a lot of times, he would play the piano and sing. And, and uh, he wrote one song that uh, is called No One Believes in Me Anymore. And he sings the song from the perspective of the devil, which may seem like a weird place to sing a Christian song. But he basically says this, that he loves operating the way that he's doing today because in the church no one believes in me anymore. And he likes to fly underneath the radar doing his own thing and not bothered by anybody. And if everybody makes him a joke, that just makes it easier for him to go and do his work. And if you think about it, we have reduced it almost to such a comedic level that we really don't believe in the seriousness of what's happening around us in the spiritual realm. And so um, I want us to look at Ephesians 6. I want you probably want to go ahead and turn in your uh, Bible to this passage. Um, Ephesians chapter 6. As we start out here tonight, this passage of Scripture that really speaks to about how the spiritual battles that are all around us that we may or may not be aware of. At the end of this letter, which Paul is trying to say, remember who you are uh, in Christ and how you're blessed in Christ in the heavenly places. He gets to the end of this book and says, now honestly, the, the battle for your soul has been won by the cross of Jesus Christ. But that does not mean that there's not a battle still going on, so to speak. So if you have ever, uh, if you grew up on a farm, you, you know this, that if someone goes and takes the chicken and you cut the chicken's head off, does anybody know what the chicken does? Continues to run around the farm for a while, right? Now, he's not going to last for long, but he will run around and he's going to kick up dust. He's probably going to run into some stuff, knock over some people. It's kind of a really frightening thing to see a no-headed chicken, you know, knocking over stuff, right? But at some point, he's going to collapse, and he's going to be done. And um, I had one theologian say it this way. Basically, you need to understand that Satan is basically just a chicken with his head cut off. And Colossians 2.15 says that when Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities, that the cross of Christ left a fatal blow on Satan. And his head has been taken off, but basically now what he's doing is running around the farm, scratching up a lot of dust, making a lot of commotion, but one day he's going to drop. 
we're living in that, that time right here, right now. We know that Satan is defeated, but if we look at our life and go, how much of what we're experiencing is, is deep down a result of spiritual warfare? Paul says at the end of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the, how much armor of God? Whole armor of God, right? Uh, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the who? Devil. The devil. Folks, um, I am old school enough to believe there is still a devil out there, okay? As much as I believe there is a God, there is a devil. I do not believe that they are um, what we would call dualistic beings, that God and the devil are kind of the same type of stature, and they're just duking it out. Who knows who's going to end in, win in the end? I don't believe that at all. But I do believe that Satan does know how to cause a lot of issues. It says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the what? The rulers. That's a really weird statement, right? You go, rulers. Does that mean politicians? Possibly. But most likely it means that our, our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present what? Darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so there are certain physical battles that we're experiencing can somebody go to that back door I think there's somebody back trying to get in um thanks christy um there is a spiritual forces that are going on all around us spiritual forces that are going on we see the physical ramifications of it right we see the conflict we see the sickness we see the sometimes opposition we see the physical things but if we could put on the lens for a second there'd be all this other kind of thing there's actually rulers and authorities and cosmic powers or this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places there is a battle going on there's a battle that is being waged around us and it cannot be won with physical means you're not going to punch out the devil, okay? You're not going to force your hand. There's something else that's going on around us. It says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to what? Stand firm. And if you look through all the, the, the armor pieces, as you look through when it says about the armor of the Lord, there's a lot of things we can unpack there. But what's the most, one of the most important things is there's really one offensive weapon, which is the word of God that is what goes forward. And God places a lot of things to protect you. But if you look at the armor positioning, someone has once told me there's only one place in your body that's not supposedly covered by the armor of God, and that is your backside. A lot of stuff in the breastplate, you know, covering your legs and whatnot. Some people say, well, maybe it covers the backside, maybe it doesn't. But the reality is this, is that we should not walk away or run from a spiritual battle. Because we know who is inside of us, and so we can go forward knowing that Christ is with us. Now, here's, here's the danger when you look at a passage of Scripture like this, and we unpack even a topic like this. So many people, I believe, get so obsessed with the spiritual realm, with the demonic, with what the devil is doing, you almost give too credit too much attention to him. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody pray where they're actually talking to the devil more than they're talking to God. That's not the purpose of prayer, right? Now, you can speak against it and whatnot. That, that's completely fine. I think sometimes we give too much credit to the devil. We focus on him too much, but sometimes we don't give enough credit. There are things of which happening in our lives that we've got to be aware of that there is a, a strategy. So with this, this is the battle we want to talk about on one side, the angelic agents. These are God's forces that are working for our good. And then on the other side, we're going to look at demonic agents as we think through the theology. So let's, let's start here. The biblical word for angel actually means messenger. Okay. So the biblical word for angel means messenger. There are some times in scripture where the word says a messenger came, and honestly, the interpreters are having to discern, do we think it's an angel or just some person talking and giving the message? And, and so really, if you even think about what the term is, it gives us gives an indication of what an angel's primary job is to do. It's to give a what? It's to give a message. That's really what they're called to do. They're, they're called to give a message. Um, Malak in the Hebrew Old Testament. That's the word. Malak is what angel is in the Old Testament. And sometimes it means uh, angel. Sometimes it means messenger. In fact, uh, is there a um, book in the Bible that looks like that word to you? I want to guess what it is? Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. That's what the name means. In fact, it's a unique name. Some people think that Malachi's message was so hard towards the religious elites in their community that that wasn't his real name. He just put it on his paper so that nobody knew how to find him and kill him after he read it. My, my messenger is all what the name means, really. And, and so 
sometimes there is a messenger that comes out, Malik, Malik, uh, and it is an angel, and sometimes it's someone who's delivering a message. In the New Testament, the word is angelos, which is in the Greek New Testament, where you can see where we get what? Our angels from, right? You can see that there right straight away. So, so we see angel within that word, but in both of those situations, in the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament, either one of those words can be used to describe a messenger or an angel. Now, uh, I want us to look at Luke chapter 2 for a moment. Luke chapter 2. This is typically where you will hear Linus recite the Christmas story from, okay, every every year. Luke chapter 2. Luke as the doctor, as the physician, as the Gentile, the not Jewish person who writes his gospel is very, uh, I would say, just mesmerized by this type of story to think what God could do uh, in the life of a virgin. And yet he also gives uh, details of which many people believe that he actually interviewed Mary because of some of the things he brought up. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 8, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with what? Great fear. Great fear, right? So this is my first um, evidence of saying an angel is not a fat baby on a cloud. Okay, right? Okay, this is is not the vision that we're getting. Um, If a brilliant, brilliant, dazzling being appears in the sky where the glory of the Lord shines around them, and these people are afraid... It says something about their presence. And in fact, every time anyone encounters an angel in the Bible, guess what the first words of the angel's mouth are? Fear not. Don't be afraid. And you go, why do you got to look so scary then? Okay, like this is an imposing, dazzling, this is something different happening here, right? So shepherds out in the field, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Which, by the way, don't you think of an angel as messenger or whatever, and all the angels, they've seen the war room in heaven, and they know what's happening, and they know Jesus is about to come on the scene. And then all of a sudden, God says, hey, Jesus is getting ready to hit the field. This is awesome. What do you need from us? Well, you're a messenger, so I need you to send a message. Great. You want us to go to Caesar? No. You want us to go to Pilate? No. You want to go to Herod? No. You want us to go to any of the kings, any of the, the queens, any of the princes, any of the princesses? No, I don't want you to go to any of those. Who do you want us to go to? The shepherds. What's so important about them? Nothing. And that's the message I want to get across. This was a low-life job. Out on the fringes of society, you can't even be in the middle of the city. And he goes, first people I want to find out are those guys. You go out to them. Imagine the angels are like, look, we can scare anybody out there in the world. You sure? Shepherds is where you want us to go, right? And yet, this is where God sends them on this message. Filled with great fear. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. (laughs) For behold, I bring you good news. That word is gospel. I bring you the gospel of Great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, as if the first one wasn't enough, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Interesting, right? The Lord made known to us through what? Through the angels, through his messengers. They were a mouthpiece for God to get a word to them. And so here's one angel, and that was frightening enough. And all of a sudden he goes, here's this heavenly host of angels coming out, seeing glory to God in the highest. And and so we we see in this, right, this, this beautiful sense of how God sends a message through these angels to sometimes unlikely people. Their appearance is dazzling, overwhelming, and yet they comfort and say, it's okay, God's got a good message for me to give to you. Now, we know this, that God created angels for ministerial functions. They are meant to minister, ministering spirits, if you will. Um, You know, we think about the role of a minister, it would be to care or perform some type of specific duty. So if God created angels for ministerial functions, what exactly uh, are they supposed to minister? Who are they ministering to? Well, in one sense, they are ministering to God. 
And in another sense, they're actually ministering to mankind, right? So let's look at, if we think about to God, there's a lot of different passages here that we can look at. I've given you some there just for your reference, but I do want you to turn to one. Let's go to, over to Isaiah chapter 6, middle of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Isaiah is a prophet that's being called by God to be able to speak a message. Now, he's going to be a Moloch, if you will. He's going to be a messenger. But along the way, he's going to experience and, and, and kind of uh, have interactions with, with some angelic beings. And in Isaiah chapter 6, it says in the first one, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? So here's this national tragedy going on. And I can remember, though, I'm overwhelmed. And I saw while Uzziah was in the ground, God is still seated on the throne. Right? It's this memory for him. Uh, he's seated on the throne, high lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the what? The seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So here is an angelic being called the seraphim. And you go, what's the difference between the seraphim and another type of angel? I don't know. <laughs> this is what I do know. These seraphim, they got six wings. It's pretty impressive because I don't even have two, y'all. Okay, right? Okay. They've they got six. And what do they do with these six? Well, two flying. That makes sense. Two covering the feet. What, okay, what would that? Two covering their face. Why, why would they cover their face? Here's an angelic being. He's got six wings, literally sitting in the throne room where God Almighty resides. Would you say that these beings are pretty holy? Anybody? I'd say pretty top shelf, right? Okay, pretty on a different level. And they have two wings with just to cover their face because they don't want to be blinded by the gloriness of God. They, 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 they are overwhelmed with the glorious nature of God. They're saying two of our wings are just reserved to cover our face so we're not blinded by his brilliance. And I go, this is seraphim in the throne room in the presence of God. they got six wings and they're still going, we're unholy, 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 but he is holy, 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 right? There, there's, this, there's this complete different... Now, Here's this ministering kind of thing, which is beautiful. So they, they sit in the throne room. They're singing this. They're kind of flanking the throne of God. Foundations, verse 4, the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And I said, this is Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I'm lost from a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Did you catch that? He said king in the year that his king died. The king, this is the king still standing, right? Here's this idea he's putting in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and you're a sin atoned for. Here's this picture. These seraphim are ministering to God in his presence. And then when God says, Here's a dirty sinner who's ready for forgiveness, he goes, You want to administer this for me? And he turns and flies to them and brings this cleansing aspect to the dirtiest place of Isaiah's life. So these angelic beings are ministering to God, but they also... Are ministering to mankind. You see throughout Scripture different places where angels will come and help out in, in different situations. We are getting ready to be able to study in First Thessalonians four sixteen uh, as a church, where it says, "For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There's going to be angels that are getting ready to say, hey, mankind, wake up. It's time to come home, and this is the end of all times. There's these ways that they minister not only to God, but also to mankind. Luke 15, 10 says, uh, this is in the passage where they talk about the prodigal son. I tell you, there's more rejoicing in heaven among the angels, right, when one sinner turns. Do you realize this, that when there is one person who receives the gospel, the angels throw a party? Then also just think about I mean, I don't know about you, but if you ever had somebody who came to faith in Christ that you loved and prayed for, and when you found out that news, you're literally like just jumping and going crazy, and oh my goodness, look at this, this is so awesome, right? Uh, with that, there is this angelic party of what takes place where they're just throwing a complete party every time someone comes to faith in Christ. When you think about Matthew 4.11, there's an interesting statement here. This is at the end of Jesus' temptation. Satan has tempted Jesus. Jesus keeps going back to God's word. And it says, the devil left him, and behold, who came? Angels came and were ministering to him. What does it mean they were ministering to him? Jesus had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He had been in the wilderness. His body was shutting down. And I believe these angels came to him and cooked him a really good meal. <laughs> 
and encouraged him and helped get on his feet, took care of his needs, and said, now's the time to get back in the ministry. And I think that they were eager to do so. You know, this is what they do. Um, angels come alongside of me, help out in certain areas in which they can't. Um, you know, First uh, Kings chapter 19, Elijah in chapter 18 defeats the prophets of Baal, right? Chapter 19, he is so tired, so exhausted. Jezebel wants to come hunt him down and kill him. And he just goes, I just want to die, God. And he, he falls asleep. And all of a sudden, this angel hits him on the side. He looks up, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, here's some food and some water. Drink, the journey's too hard for you. Now, I just imagine that, I don't know the mentality, right? But you can imagine angels like, what's wrong with this guy or whatever. No, they were eager. God said, Elijah is tired. He needs a nap and a snack. Okay, that's what he needs, right? His spirit is all messed up. And so I need you to meet a practical need in his life. Go let him get a rest and let him get some good food, a little snacky, and get some water in him. And he's going to be better, right? Here's this, these angels going this. If the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, let's make sure we take care of his flesh right now to get his flesh in line with his spirit, right? Ministry just to a physical need. Angels do this from time to time in Scripture, and, and I'm one of those people that believes they still actually do it today. Um, we looked at Isaiah chapter 6 already throughout through all that, how he's, those things happen. Um, but one of the things we need to know that while the substance of angels is more spiritual than physical, they can and will take form for certain assignments. So as angelic beings, they are more spiritual than they are physical, if that makes sense, right? They're more spiritual than they are physical, but angels can take uh, human form, uh, have human appearance. They can strike sides. They can give certain things out. They can actually appear as people. They can confront people. They've gone to battle throughout Scripture. So while they're more spiritual in nature, it's not like they cannot put on physical form if they need to. Make sense? So, so with that... Uh, look what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. That's a pretty neat statement, isn't it? Right? Hey, you might want to be really nice to people you, you come in contact with, because you might be dealing with a stranger, but you might be dealing with a real stranger. Okay? Somebody from a different zip code, if you will. Um, that He says, don't, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So what, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? Folks, you may come into contact with an angel this very week that is sent just to encourage or help you or protect you, and you may never see them again. And you know what? You might want to be kind and have your spiritual eyes open because you never know when someone may be around you in that kind of category, right? Um, I don't know, and, and it's always hard. You know, I go, God sends people in my life to encourage me, but I can remember as a young child, I was probably around seven years old, our family was going through a very, very difficult time. We were in a different city. Um, and we were having to go into a store for something. I'm there with my mom and my older sister, and we were just at a very low place as a family and a lot of unknowns and a lot of frustrating situations. And I can remember this man coming up to us in the store, and he just had this grin about him, if not a glow about him, that he just kind of came and just like, didn't look like he was looking for anything on the aisle except for us. And she walked up to us and spoke to me and spoke to my mom, spoke to my sister, and just kind of like uniquely just went straight to where we were. And was like, it looks like you guys are having a rough day. I just want to remind you of some things and just starts giving us these words of encouragement. I mean, just like, dude's reading our mail. Like, what? Who, who is this guy, right? Never seen this guy before. Don't know where he came from. He didn't know us. He's just like, he came down the aisle. He looked at us. He starts giving us some words of encouragement. He tells us it's going to be okay. He stick together, do the right thing. You're going to be all right. I just want to encourage you right now. And then he just goes on his way and as a seven-year-old I was so moved I was like I need to find out who this guy's name is and so I ran after him fellow wasn't moving that fast right I go on the other aisle right where he had taken a spot and turned right and went down that other aisle I can't find him I can't find him now two situations either a homeboy got really quick you know all of a sudden right he started booking it or would it be unlike God to say I need somebody to encourage his family I need somebody to go down the store right now. They need a little reminder that I'm with them. And I need you to go in. Look like whoever you want to look like. I don't care. Just go in, right? Come in, encourage them, and you're out. In and out, in and out. A little mission, right? Just drop down this kind of stuff. Now, if that is too challenging for you to believe, the resurrection must be really hard to swallow. <laughs> yeah. um, I've had friends who have been in missionary context 
of which terrorist groups have surrounded the house getting ready to kill the missionaries and then all of a sudden the, the group that was supposed to go in and invade that night and to be able to break up in that home decided not to and then the next day throughout the village they said who was that army that was surrounding your house last night what army there's a group of people lined up they all had swords drawn in their hand we've never seen them before where did they come from They're like we don't have swords They're like yes you did there was this array of just huge-looking guys who were just sitting there just protecting you all night. We kept coming throughout every hour of the night, and we just saw these people there. Who were they? Once again, if, if, you, if, if you feel like that seems supernatural, too much, I go, folks, Jesus got it from the grave. You believe that? And, and, and so this scripture is saying you might want to be kind to strangers. You know why? Because it actually might be an angel that is taking on form and giving a certain assignment that God is saying, I love you very much, and I want you to give up right now. And he sends somebody right among you. What a wonderful, gracious God we serve. Uh, angels fill certain hierarchical uh, roles within the heavenly court. That means there's a hierarchy, right? And if you look throughout scriptures, there's actually specific names that they have. So certain roles in the heavenly court. So, so you've got different roles like this. You've got categories of angels and archangels, which kind of basically means like they're a superior in command, right? There seems like there's some type of... Uh, these people have, can, uh, I would say, authority over others. God is a God of order and kind of has a system of how he gathers together. There's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's other uh, people who are members of the divine council and different terminologies, but there seems to be a lot. And it's not just like angels. And also, I don't have this in the notes, but I need you to know this. Angels are not people who have died and gone to heaven. Something completely different. Okay, it's completely different. You go, oh, I thought I was dying, I was getting wings. You get something better, you get Jesus, okay? The angels are there to help you and I make sure that we get what we need and they're protected along the way so that we can pass the word on to other people. But you don't die and become an angel. You die and become yourself except without sin, okay? And one day you're going to be able to see all these angels and whatnot. And, you know, I, I mentioned uh, this, you know, to... Um, but the other week when uh, Amanda and Gloria got in that, in that wreck, right, I, it just it happens, you know, you think through, um, why were the library books put in that seat versus that seat or typically, and why Gloria typically was in that seat that she's moved into that seat the only time that whole week that she's just been in that van seat versus this van seat. We pull out of this, this uh, um, parking lot here and they go a mile down the road and just get plowed right in the seat where Gloria typically is. Now, we can say it's a coincidence, but I just start thinking about, you know, I've served this church for five years now. And with my family being here a whole lot, we've only had two wrecks on Woodruff Road. That's a miracle of God in and of itself, right? Okay. I mean, I'm here all the time. And I'm sitting here going like, it makes my mind start thinking, how many angels are blocking me all the time? You know? Like there may be certain things that Satan is like, take that guy out. Take that family out. Take that church member out. And there's blocks that we don't even see happening some of y'all know some of y'all should have been dead about 27 times by now <laughs> and it's for some reason god has spared you god has spared you and and so with this there's different categories there's also different individuals you look at the, the two angels that we know by name michael and gabriel for you linguistic people right you see this Michael and Gabriel, you see El in those names. Once again, El Elohim, the name of God in Hebrew. That's kind of calling this out, these messengers of God. These guys are archangels, specific tasks. They seem like they're kind of leaders of group. Uh, we see uh, uh, these different ones like Michael and the, the last uh, battle with Satan. We see Gabriel coming in, uh, giving messages to Mary. These guys have specific tasks. Beautiful thought. Um, Matthew 26, 53, Jesus is on the cross, and he says an interesting statement. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Legion is a whole barrage of troops, right? And like, Jesus, why don't you get down on the cross? He goes, don't you understand how I roll? Okay, if I wanted to get off this cross right now, it'd be over. This whole place would be wiped out. These are not just little... Um, Little tiny beans playing harps. These are warriors ready for the call of God just to take care of business if they ain't to. Jesus said, if I want to get off this cross, I'd be off. And all these people be wiped out. There is an uh, army type of structure and a warfare to what's going on here. Now, that's the angelic agents. Now let's talk to the demonic agents. And I'm not giving as much uh, time here because 
I just don't like them as much, and I don't want them to think about that we really think about them that much. But we need to address what Scripture does say. Um, let's start with Lucifer. The name means shining one. Is the supreme archangel of the fallen angels who rebelled against God. If you look throughout the pages of Scripture, we are going to find that Lucifer, or Satan, or the devil, is a term that we will find from time to time to time to describe a leading once good angel who rebelled against God and took a group of angels with him uh, to start basically their own work. And we're going to kind of unpack what that means. Another term that we'll use, Lucifer. Lucifer means shining one. We'll explain that in a second. But Satan um, is the name of the accuser. Uh, we need to know that Satan is no match for God, but possesses far superior strength to us. So Satan, the, the word uh, satanus means accuser. He is no match for God, but he possesses far superior strength to us. So if anybody's like, I can take the devil on, not in your own strength, no, you cannot. It's not God versus the devil, and it's kind of a fair fight, but Satan has a lot more power than you and I would have, but he has nothing compared to what God has. Now, Satan as the accuser, a lot of times there is this cartoonish depiction, and, and it was interesting, I was reading this up, it actually came from a medieval belief that you could resist him by mocking him. So the picture that we have of Satan, red, uh, horns, uh, uh, you know, uh, tail, the pitchfork and all this kind of stuff, it, that originated in the medieval times where people thought that one way to repel the enemy was to make fun of him. So they made him look like some type of minstrel, kind of just like this funny like dancing guy that's just kind of cartoonish. And, uh, and they just kind of made him like that because they thought that you could shoo him away by making fun of him, right? Well, if you were to ask the average American what does Satan look like, he'd be red, he'd have horns, he'd have a tail, he'd have that kind of stuff, he'd have a pitchfork. And isn't it funny that it's one of the most famous Halloween costumes that we've got, right? Okay, people are saying it's cute or whatever. Um, when I was in high school, we would have a homecoming week and everybody would choose like some type of theme. The ninth grade would choose a theme, tenth grade would choose a theme. I can remember one year our class decided that we were going to be angels and demons. I'm like, that's really messed up. Like, why, why would we want to do that, right? And I can remember that it seemed like a lot more people wanted to dress up as demons than they did angels, right? And all of it just seemed like really ridiculous. And it, and it's just kind of cartoonish, right? And I do think it goes back to that's exactly where Satan would love for us to keep him. Just like, don't exist. Just a cartoon. Not a big deal. Uh, don't, don't even worry about him. Um, Isaiah chapter 14. I want to read a couple verses to you that I believe speaks to the nature of of Lucifer. Um, I'll, I'll read these verses to you. You're more than welcome to look them up, but we're going to look at a couple places really quick. Isaiah 14, verse 12, says it this way. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, listen to this, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. In scripture, a lot of time when it talks about stars of God, it means angelic beings. So here is one angelic being saying he's going to ascend above the other angelic beings. Okay? I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Think about that. I'm going to be like God. And you know how similar that sounds to Genesis chapter 3 when that Lucifer says, Oh, if you eat of that, you're going to be like God. Knowing good and evil. You'll be just like him, right? Same temptation Satan had, he knew Adam and Eve had, he exploited it. I will make myself like the most high, but it says, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Here is this picture of some type of angelic being that decided to rebel against God and think that he could take God's position that was cast out of heaven and a group of angels with him. You look next to Ezekiel 28. If you ever want to remember these, always think of Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. Sounds like good football touchdown numbers, okay? Uh, Ezekiel 28, um, also similar, verse 11. It says it this way, our, um, you were the, or verse 12, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect and beauty. Now listen to this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now who in the world would be in Eden, the garden of God? Adam? Eve and angelic beings, right? That's all there was. Okay, see, so here you're the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. Does this sound like a very uh, 
uh, the, the, the enlightened, kind of like just dazzling one that we talked about, right? It says, on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So here's this dazzling figure, perfect in beauty, uh, positioned to have a specific role in heavenly places, but unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, a guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Here's this picture of someone, an angelic being, dazzling in appearance, who was in the Garden of Eden, that it came against God, unrighteousness found, and God put him down and said, but your end is coming soon. This picture of what the angelic war was about in the original days. Look even what is said of Satan regarding uh, Peter right before Jesus went to the cross. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. And just stop there for a second. Let me frightening. Everything's getting crazy in the disciples' life. Jesus is talking out of his head. I'm about to go to the cross. Something's about to happen. Somebody's going to betray me. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about? What are you talking about? That's not going to happen to you. And Jesus goes, Simon, Satan's asked for you by name. He's coming for you, boy. Don't you understand? This is serious. Simon has asked for you by name to sift you like wheat. What does Jesus do? But I pray for you. He would go. How about you block Satan then? If he's coming after me, right? That's what he did. <laughs> he prayed. This is not flesh and blood. This is spiritual battles going on. So he says, I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now look at that line. Just like Satan asked to be able to mess up Job, Satan's asking to mess up Peter. Because you know Jesus is going to go out. Peter's the next one in line. He's asked for him. And this is what's crazy about it. Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you like he might sift you like wheat. Which goes, so it sounds like Satan's having to ask permission. Ask permission from who? God. He don't touch anybody unless God allows him to touch, right? Here's all, and this is going to mess some of y'all up here for a second. But here's, and Job, right? God's having his business meeting in heaven, and all of a sudden it says Satan came among it, and he goes, what are you doing here? He goes, I've been walking around earth, messing people up. And God goes, have you tried Job out? Now that's frightening, right? Because Job did not sign a permission slip for such a conversation, right, okay? What, what do you mean? Hey, hey, the only reason why Job follows you, his life is easy. You make his life hard, he's going to disobey you. He's going to walk away from you. God says, okay, I remove a little bit from him and see what happens. Everything's taken away from Job. Chapter 2 comes in. What happens? The only reason why he's still following you, you didn't let me touch him. If I can touch his health, guarantee he's going to go down. God says, all right, you can touch him, just don't kill him. Permission slip? Anybody? Okay. Can I? Can I? No, no, no. Here, here's the picture. Satan can't touch you without even the authority of God. Here is Jesus saying, I know Satan's going to tempt you, Peter. So what I've done is I've prayed for you because I can see forward and you're going to fall, but I'm praying that you're going to turn back around and strengthen your brothers after you fall down, get back up again. Have you ever thought about that some of us are still making it today because Jesus actually prayed for you? Mm -hmm. Satan's going to get you, but I'm praying you're going to get back up. That's my prayer for you. He says, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Lion typically goes after the weak one in the pack or the isolated one in the pack. Just like a lion does, he looks for us isolated and alone, and he comes at us to take you out. That is his goal. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Y'all been trying to fight him. All you got to do is resist him. Just resist him. I'm not going to listen to your lies anymore. I'm not going to go down your path anymore. Now, he's going to get frustrated. He's going to 
change his strategy and come again, but you say, I'm, I'm not dealing with you, I'm resisting you. Now, this is important for us to know in 2 Corinthians 11, 14, and no wonder for even Satan disguises himself as a what? An angel of light. Folks, Satan does not come calling, saying, by the way, I'm Satan, the enemy of God, trying to take out your life. Satan's going to come at you sounding right, sounding good, sounding understanding, sounding, oh, you've had a bad day. Man, nobody understands you. Nobody accepts you. You deserve a free pass. I'm so sorry that God doesn't protect you. I'm so sorry your family doesn't love you. You have every right here. He, he appears as somebody who gets you, right? Angel of light. And that's what's so dangerous about him is that a lot of times he makes a lot of sense in our ears, especially he knows we're weak and he comes at us. If you look at this, I, I took this down from our, our Theology of the Church textbook, but the goal of Satan and his force is really quick. Here's some evidence of what Scripture does say. He, uh, they do a good job of inciting false worship, uh, inflicting physical suffering, as we see in Job or even in the Apostle Paul. Um, not all physical suffering, by the way, is from Satan, but I will say this. Some of it is. Some of it is. Uh, I believe that there are certain times that... Um, I think there are certain times that Satan will attack some of us physically, try certain things physically. Sickness will come out of nowhere with a whole goal of trying to take us out. Uh, I've, I've mentioned before to this church that the moment when I signed up to do that Bible study for that movie, Courageous, before I said yes, the, the makers of that movie said, make sure you're ready to sign up for this because if you sign up, you're going to get spiritual warfare like you've never experienced in your life. And if you want to back out, we totally understand. But let me just tell you, he's going to come for you and your family. Well, that sounds fun, right? And I said yes, and for somebody who's had a perfectly bill of health for the first 30 years of my life, that next day I woke up with pain that came out of nowhere. No doctors could make sense of it. No medicine would help it. But day after day, I could not, I could barely walk. I, I, I wasn't comfortable in any kind of way. The pain was, was growing in intensity, and every time I was trying to write a Bible study on being a father or play with my kids, I just wanted to retreat and get away, and then all of a sudden it hit me. Who would be trying to stop me from being what God's called me to be right now? Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. And uh, I finished the Bible study, sent it off in the mail, pain gone. That quick. They email me a few days later, hey, we changed the idea for session six. Can you rewrite session six according to this? I get that email. My wife falls off the front porch, breaks her ankle, and she pulls me to her and she says, finish this quick, boy. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And Satan is not responsible for every single one of your physical pains, but he might be responsible for some of them. Watch and see if the physical pain is causing you to want to justify sin, complaints, uh, lagging and following after Jesus, and then you might be aware of the strategy that's going on. Watch for what you tend to do in those moments, and you might see who could be encouraging that. Enslaving in sin uh, is a work that they love to do to get you addicted, to get you in habits, to get you as the natural mechanisms of your life. Lying, John 8, 44 says, you're of your father, the devil. He's the father of what? Lies. Father of lies. He's deceit. That's what he does. Uh, scheming evil. They just sat there strategizing. How can we take stuff down? They, they love dysfunction. Um, uh, is Satan responsible for COVID-19? Is Satan responsible for all the racial unrest? Is Satan responsible for this or that? I don't know, but I do know this. When I see churches breaking up over mask mandates, I just think Satan is having a heyday. Yes. Just loving it. Like, look how ridiculous this is. I'm going to break this up. The ways that he can come in and just scheme evil, uh, evil activities. Uh, he blinds unbelievers is what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. You ever had somebody you've just been trying to share the gospel with? It's like they just can't see it. Spirit has just blinded them, right? Spirit of Satan has just blinded them where they cannot see the truth of the gospel. Uh, they're really good at disguising evil, making it look like an angel of light. This isn't bad. This is good. You deserve this. Opposing the progress of the saints is a typical thing that they would love to do. Hindering godly ministry, as we looked at in 1 Thessalonians recently. Here's Paul trying to get to the Thessalonians, and he can't because Satan hindered me. Just trying to stop me. Um, spreading a false doctrine. 
really good at that. We kind of make it easy for them, but there's a lot of activity around that. Seeking to destroy what they're built upon doing. Inspiring false teachers. One of the best ways to get us to do horrible things is to believe horrible things. Inciting persecution. Uh, in Revelation chapter 2, it talks about how Satan and his forces were in, uh, inciting persecution so to water down Christians that they would want to walk away from the faith. Deceiving the whole world. This mentality is something that's going on for us. And Revelation chapter 22, uh, verses 8 through 9, says in a very, very interesting way. But in Revelation 22, uh, it says, uh, when you think about, um, actually, I've wrote down the wrong thing here. Wait a minute. We'll, we'll look at that here in just a second. Um, but I want you to look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. And um, here's, here's a side of both of the forces, the agents of God. They're on the angelic side, the demonic side, duking it out, if you will. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 7. It says, Now a war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. Well, this sounds interesting, right? And the dragon and his angels fought back. So you see, it says here, the dragon and his angels. So Michael's got angels, Michael's got messengers, dragon's got messengers. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient who? Serpent. Going all the way back to Genesis 3. That ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Here's this picture of a battle ensuing. I want you to see something, that there are angelic forces and commanders. There's demonic forces and commanders going at war. And at the end of it, what really is the war about? It is about the souls of mankind is what this is all about. And I think it's beautiful that this loud voice in heaven says, salvation and the authority of Christ has come, for the accuser of our brethren is going to be thrown down. He who accuses them before our God, it says, day and night. You know what Satan, that name, accuser, really what he does? He lives every single day to tattletale on you and me. As if God didn't know it, right? You know what Travis has done? God, God, whoa, 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 whoa. You want him to pastor this church? You know what he's done. You know what he thinks about? Are you sure you want to love him? You sure you want to use him? Look at his past, God. Look at his habits, oh God. He can't even do certain things without messing up or being impatient. Look how frail he is. Look how fragile he is. He's horrible, God. And if I was sitting there in the courtroom, I'd be like, God's got a point. Got some really strong points. He knows me very well. But then someone rises in my defense. His name is Jesus. He says, everything he's saying is correct. But he forgot something. My sacrifice covered all that. And he needs to shut his mouth because that's in the past. And what is here and right now is that I've made all things new. And so... The accuser of this brother needs to be shut down and thrown out. And this Travis here and all those other saints, they're going to overcome him by two things, two things alone. The blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb is this and, and this, this foremost. Jesus Christ has died for me. Yes, I am a train wreck, but my sins have been covered for. The blood of the Lamb and the word of testimony is this. My testimony is I belong to Jesus. He's made me new. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. So my testimony is this. Yeah, all that stuff he's bringing up, it's absolutely true. But he's got no accusation because Jesus Christ has taken my place upon the cross. So at the end of all things in Revelation chapter 22, that, that last verse I wanted you to look at. He says, I, John, are the one who heard and saw these things. He saw this whole revelation. It says, when I heard and saw them... I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. 
he's so in awe of this angel. <laughs> I just love the humanity of it, right? John, you're right. The last book of the Bible, don't say you try to worship an angel. I'm just so in awe. I, just, I fall down like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. The angel says, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. I hope the angels said this. Hey, look, we're just on the same team here, okay? I'm doing my part, you're doing my part. We are fellow servants of the Almighty God. And folks, um, I believe that in my lifetime, I have been in the room where angels have come down to visit and encourage me. I believe that I have been in places before where I should have been dead and something spared me. I believe that I have been in the presence of those that have been possessed by demons and overwhelmed by it, and I have seen God deliver them in miraculous ways. I have seen things and walked in certain places that felt so evil, but yet I felt such a peace because I know who walks with me. And I know who's inside me. And this is the reality. I want to lift all of, up, all of us up our eyes a little bit to go. We are in a battlefield every single day. I know who's going to win. I just don't know how many casualties there are going to be along the way. And we've got to open up our eyes to realize this. If the battle is this serious and it is for our souls, then we better say to God every single day, I'm walking with you. And God, yes, protect me by your angels. Just do whatever you've got to do, but let me stay faithful to you and not listen to the lies of the enemy trying to draw us away. Folks, there's a battle at play. It's not against flesh and blood, but thank be to God that we know who's going to win at the end and just stay with him until that moment. So, Father, tonight, we don't want to worship an angel. We don't want to focus on a devil. We want to worship you. We want to see you for who you are and to realize, open up our eyes to the war that is all around us be able to walk in truth and see how you are moving. Lord, we believe that even today that there was angelic and demonic activity of bringing people to church and keeping people from church. There were certain uh, complaints and physical ailments that keep, kept people away, and there were certain things that kind of propelled us forward. There's all these things, God. We don't know how you're working, but we do know this, God, that you are good, you are faithful, and you are stronger than anything else out there. And so, God, we trust in you, and we believe that greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. And we go forward in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.